Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Hour three underway. Chad Adams, your guest host here for Pete Callender, who's feeling a little under the weather. News Talk 1110-993-WPT. 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. And with that, as always, and I, anyone who listens to me long enough knows that if there are callers, you guys move to the front of the line, and regardless of what the host is talking about, regardless of the topic for the most part, within degrees of respectability, you move. And Jack, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for holding. How the heck are hey, you Chad. today? Hey, Chad. How you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic. Hey, man. I was listening to the show on my way into the office here, and I hope you don't mind me saying saying this, but you, it's obvious that you live in a conservative world. So I don't. Do you live in Charlotte, Mecklenburg? I do not. Okay, well, you well you're on the radio station right now, WBT, based in Charlotte, Mecklenburg. This is a Democratic county. I think we only have uh, we only have two elected uh, Republican officials. That includes the city councils uh, and the uh, county commission, and they both come yep. from, uh, from 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 districts, not not uh, not a uh, at large uh, election uh, election. You know, they're 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 district right. representatives. So the world that I live in, you know, I'll be honest with you, the world that I live in is not going to vote for Donald Trump. And the only re- the only way that Donald Trump will win the election again is through the Electoral College. He will not win the popular vote, which he's lost both times. He's not going to win the popular vote. His only chance of winning is through the Electoral College. And if the voting patterns of those of the states remain the same as they did before, I mean, he lost Georgia, he lost Pennsylvania, he lost Nevada, he lost Arizona. Of course, he lost his uh, ex-home state of New York. He's definitely not going to win California. I think the story is going to be the same. I just don't think enough Democrats and independents are going to switch over and vote for Donald Trump again. I think it's just going to be a repeat of the last election. And one of the things that I like about conservative Republicans and how shut up here, you guys have a tendency that even when you lose, you behave as if you won. And for some reason, you guys have this tendency to think that you're the majority in the country, and you're certainly not. Okay, can you can you elaborate a little bit on the last one? I, I've got the first stuff down, but I want to understand the last part. Take taking Trump out, taking what the left calls the big lie. Take that, taking that. Can you explain how Republicans believe they win when they lose? After the Stacey Abrams, Hillary Clinton, Al Gore, et cetera, et cetera, elections, can you explain? Because I see both sides as having a bit of that, a bit of that. Uh, we want Carrie Lake, you know, you know, you, they're both sides that that have a little bit of that going on, do they not? But, but I think I think you're right. I think I agree with you. To, 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 I agree in most part for what what you just said. But what Republicans tend to do, even when they lose an election, they still feel they're so adamant about they're on the side of right and you know everybody you know other people are wrong so even when you lose you behave as if you won and you don't do a good job of acknowledging your losses you know i mean 
So, well, well, wait, 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 Jack, Jack, Jack. Okay. Let's look at North Carolina because I think North Carolina is a good microcosm. And and Charlotte, if you look at the metro areas of of uh, Raleigh, Greensboro, Charlotte, certainly Wilmington, downtown Asheville, those are the microcosms of Democrat power and control. They they really are. They're they're largely Democrat. As you move into Union County, Gaston County, you move into those outlying areas. That's not or in Gaston County. Those are those are much more conservative areas. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes, sir. And that's rural, why it, rural areas is what I call them. Yeah. Well, not rural. I mean, Brunswick County's rural, but also a lot of Republicans down there and and, and down east. Um, and so, when you look at the state, you would say that look at the the leaders of our state and look at those statewide elections. So you have Roy Cooper as the elected governor, Democrat, correct? Lieutenant governor's a Republican, uh, the head of superintendent of public instruction, Republican, head of insurance, Republican. I mean, so you've got a real mix, and both senators elected in statewide races are, are Republicans, right? Those are not gerrymandered. Those are, those are So we, we do have a lot of this purple state mentality. And when you look across the nation, what you said about the – so would you be in favor of getting rid of the Electoral College? Possibly, possibly. I, I, okay. I, I like so you would you would get rid of you would, but I think you would get rid of the Republican, go with a full on democracy, majority rule on everything. I think that I think the the electoral college is so ingrained in our government and in our elective election elective system that it would be very difficult to get rid of it. But I'd be open to to discuss it. Yeah. Because because you would get rid of because we would we would not have made the kind of progress we did on civil rights we would not have made a lot of the progress we made in the country with just a simple mob rule which is what a straight up democracy is just whatever's popular and trendy at the time you can swing the pendulum back and forth with with some kind of uh, you know electoral college representation geographic representation is important in the republic that's why it was set up that way it's why a state like Wyoming or Montana or North Dakota gets two senators sure. because if you just went straight exactly. up majority then you would get rid of the senate as you know it you would have oh, no, maybe no, absolutely three. not absolutely not but, but that's what that. the electoral college is based on it's based on geographic and uh demographic so it's yeah, right it's exactly. population also so so there, there is that balance now with respect to georgia pennsylvania michigan some of those states are really even even keeled lines right now and I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I know the outcome of this election. I don't think you heard me say Donald Trump's going to win it. What I'm going to say is there are vast differences. It looks like it's going to be a Trump-Biden matchup. I think the Democrats have some serious problems, and you're seeing the trend lines, even in North Carolina and other states. It's not. It's breaking toward unaffiliated. And it, oddly enough, in North Carolina, there are more registered Republicans. That's still in positive territory. Democrats are losing a lot of voters unaffiliated are gaining them faster than Republicans. But why do you think that Democrats are, are, are there? We're losing more Democrats every year in when North you, Carolina. When you, when you say losing, well, North Carolina, in my opinion, North Carolina is a backwards. I'm not <laughs> take that back. I apologize for that. But North Carolina is a conservative state. It's got a conservative history, but yet even in the midst of that conservatism, you'll notice that most of the governors that we've had in this state have been Democratic. And I would always, I would be willing to bet you, you know, we could bet a hundred bucks or so, whatever, you know, give it to charity. But I believe if the if the if the if the, if the governor's race comes down between Josh Stein and the current lieutenant governor, Josh Stein will win that race. I'll say it a little differently. I I don't disagree with that. I think Josh Stein has a great organization. I think he's got tons of money. But I would say that if if 
if it was a Trump-Biden race, which I think it, it likely will be, if Trump wins the state by four votes, four percentage points or more, I think that Mark Robinson could theoretically win that. Now, if Trump won the state, as he did, you know, he won the state last time, but but uh, not enough, and then that's how Roy Cooper, you know, obviously crushed uh, Pat McCrory and, and some other things. You don't win by enough, so it's a coattail issue there. But I, I think that I it's, it's I don't, certainly... I don't, think, I don't think Trump's coattails will, will get Mark Robinson in. It might not. I think it's. I think we are a state of ticket splitters. That's where we are. I think we are a state that looks at the candidates on balance. So I don't know. It's Josh Stein's to lose. Uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens in the Republican primary. But uh, any anything could happen. I'm not going to pretend that North Carolina is going to go one way or the other because I've noticed that in the history of this state in the past 40 years, it hasn't had a trend line in my opinion. Uh, in one direction, other than oddly enough, with the Senate, which is bizarre. I think the last Democrat senator was uh, Kay Hagan, and ever since then, yeah, it's right, Trump and right, right. So, so right. it, 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 it remains to be seen. But I think when you said the Democrats have a problem, I agree with that. I think I don't think that that uh, that Biden is the, the best candidate, but the Republicans have a similar problem: is that they have Donald Trump. And that's uh, and that's and he's not the best candidate on the Republican side either. And I think, you know, once we get through these primaries and the nominations are sealed, then we'll then we'll actually see uh, what a serious problem Donald Trump is going to be on the Republican and, ticket. And Jack, I would also tell you, Biden didn't have a record last time he ran, and that's a serious issue. This border issue, don't don't under don't underplay the seriousness that people are are taking the task with the border. I think that's oh, bigger it, than a lot of people want to pretend. It, it, it's, it's a hot issue, but, but Trump yeah. didn't It's not going to go away. Trump had four years, and he didn't close the border. Oh, actually, he did. We had the lowest illegal immigration. Oh, anyway, we're not going to get into that. It's a longer topic. But, Jack, I respect you, and I appreciate the phone call, okay? Because i got to take a break here, and i got to get to the next caller. Keith, do stay on the line. Good afternoon. Bienvenidos. Glad you're with us. No, I'm not Hispanic. I just play one from time to time. Now, having said that, Chad Adams, your guest host. Yeah, my name's not really Hispanic, is it? It's not. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure someone will get upset about that. What? You're not. You're, 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 you're appropriating. You're appropriating cultures. Keith, I'm, I hope you will uh, consider calling us back. We were going to go straight to you. And appreciate Jack's call, by the way. And, and appreciate the responses on Twitter. By, I know every one of you who wrote some on Twitter, I saw it in the break. So I appreciate that. Uh, I think Jack has called several times before. And and it's it's interesting that issue by, I think, I don't think, I, I feel confident about this. If, if the election is about emotion, then Democrats tend to win. I think that the, the election after the Supreme Court ruling on abortion that that really did help Democrats. It was a very emotional election after that, and that's why Congress didn't get the kind of Republican wave they saw. It was a one issue. It really was. It was a one issue thing that washed a lot of Democrats in. I think that this election, there will be a lot of emotions because of the two individuals that will likely be there because of Biden, because of um, Trump. There will, but there will also be a lot of people that look at the situation and they don't like it. There's no way that a lot of the people that voted for Biden last time will do so. We, we were we were in a pressure cooker because of COVID. There was a, a lot of frustration. Had a, 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 and it, it was contentious. It was contentious in a weird way. All the, the way mail-in ballots, a lot of people, and, and it's very difficult. Jack said, you know, Republicans have, have trouble accepting elections. Now, he did concede 
that when I mentioned Stacey Abrams and Hillary Clinton and Al Gore, I mean, there's there's a litany of people that believe their side won. It's not just Republicans. Republicans believe. Let me rephrase that because I don't want I like I don't like talking about the Republican Democrats so much as I do progressives and conservatives on the issues on issue after issue. Conservatives do very well. The problem is a lot of Republicans don't act very conservative. If you look at the right track, wrong track right now, and this has a car, Jimmy Carter's numbers are better. We're better than Biden's numbers right now. Now, that that's interesting. It's it's hard to get reelected when you have an approval rating of 40 or below. It's certainly 42, 43. But if you look at the right direction, wrong direction numbers, it's almost impossible when you're the sitting president and the right direction numbers are 24 and a half percent, 24.7%. 66% of people polled think the country's the spread there's 41%. 66% of the country think we're heading in the wrong direction. And they do that based on the economy, sovereignty, foreign policy, and, and the way they're looking at their own pocketbooks. They do not like this. This is not just like it was four years ago. This isn't the same election as four years ago. There isn't a pandemic. Well, I hope there's not a pandemic. Who knows? But I do think that the Biden situation is bad and getting worse. We didn't have four years of gaffes and stumbles and inability to articulate a coherent sentence. We didn't have uh, a, a border policy that let millions of people across a porous border because he changed Trump's policies on day one. That's not that's not an uh, you can fact check it all you want. He changed the policies day one. Now they're trying to shift blame and make it look like Congress is doing this. He undid the actions of the previous president and then wants to blame the Republicans. It's just not going to work that way. The spending proclivities, by the way, if it became about congressional spending, then Republicans and Democrats own it alike. They both have just printed money obscenely. They did. They did under Republican administrations. They've done it under Democrats. Regardless, the printing, that's bad. But when you look, if you look at when Afghanistan becomes the issue, when the border becomes the issue, the situation with Iran becomes the issue, concern about China becomes the issue, the situation with the economy and the appalling numbers on this, the Biden is trying to spin, hey, we're not in recession. That's good news. But the inflationary numbers are appalling. So we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. I mean, I'll look at these numbers and to try to get a snapshot of where we are on this. And, and again, these numbers that I'm about to give you, in my opinion, are meaningless. They are largely meaningless because the, the issues that will transpire between now and November will determine the outcome of this election. If it were held today, I think Biden would be in serious trouble. But there's any number of issues. Uh, God forbid there be a, another terrorist attack on our country. Um, did I, you know, I, I don't know. But I do know that these issues, I think, had the election, if you looked at the Republican wave in 2022, if you had looked at where we were right now in 2020, in January, heading into February of 2022, the numbers were fantastic for Republicans. They were. It was going to be a wave. It was no doubt about it heading into the summer. But when that Supreme Court decision was made, all that got tanked. So what I'm saying is the numbers, we are on such a line that those numbers could tank either way. They could break toward the previous president, break toward the current president. Now, I think if I were a betting man, which I'm not, 
I would give the election to Trump right now. But like I said, the indictments didn't do what the Democrats wanted them to. I think the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit and the outcome of that one, actually, everything they've thrown at him has backfired on them. I think that everything the Democrats have attempted to do and spend and be a part of it. And here's a really good example of that. If you're looking for an example of that, you forget forget the conservative talk shows. He said, I live in a conservative world. It's kind of interesting um, because I, I what I try to do every day is challenge my own assumptions, challenge my own beliefs. What what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong about the nature of free market economies? What if I'm wrong about the way people are looking at the southern border? What if I'm wrong about the way we look at at China? What if I'm wrong about the way I'm reading the economic tea leaves? Because your family's ability to pay its bills and do things are predicated on your belief system, really. You make decisions based on your belief system and what facts tell you. And I do that every day. And I, I'm, I'm proud of my successes and failures. I'm proud of them because I learned from each of them and moved forward. So I do. I don't live in a conservative bubble. In fact, uh, you know, there's just so much I could say on that. Having been an elected official, having lived in a county that went from Democrat to Republican, uh, having lived in a three-to-one Democrat county and run and won as a Republican is, is very vivid in my mind. And it's because issues do ultimately matter. And so I, I think that the, the president's own problems are going to escalate. I don't think he has answers. I don't think all the king's horses and all the king's men can put Biden back together again. He's got problems. Now, does Trump have issues? Absolutely. Is he contentious? Yes. But here's here's a really good. Let me let me. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get to that. I will get to that after the break. But as we go toward the election, Josh Stein, and then you've got Bill Graham, Mark Robinson, and Dale Falwell. If I'm in Josh Stein's camp, I want Mark Robinson to be my opponent because the ability to assail Mark Robinson now will will Robinson be able to put up enough of a defense to 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 defeat Stein heading into the election, especially with the anti-Semitic comments that that Robinson has made running against. I think that Stein wants the Robinson race. If I were in Stein, if I were advising Josh Stein, that's what I would want. The one person in that race that I would not want to be against, if I were Josh Stein, would be Dale Falwell. Because Dale is going to attract a lot of the, the, the conservative base on financial issues. He's going to attract moderates who want to see a steady hand at the helm. He's going to attract the, – the, the problem with Dale is going to be able to get the grassroots excited about him if he were the nominee. Bill Graham, I think, is spending a lot of money, and what you see him throwing out there against Robinson is just a taste of things to come. So we'll see. I mean, on the Republican side, we've got some uh, ugly, ugly races out there. We have the Michelle Morrow, Catherine Truitt race, which is going on, and it's, that's going to that's the superintendent's race, Catherine Truitt, the incumbent. But a lot of folks on, on the conservative side of the aisle, especially the charter school people and others, are very upset about Truett. They're not real happy about what she's done, the way she's conducted and acted. Um, she's been much more friendlier, uh, friendly to Democrats than Republicans and conservatives in many ways. So we'll see. But does, does, does Michelle Mora have enough you know, gas in the tank to, to overcome that, to overcome the power of incumbency? We'll see. Welcome, welcome. Chad Adams, your guest host, sitting in for Pete Callender here at News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. 704-570-1110, the phone number 
the phone number if you wish to get in on the conversation. I appreciate all the calls, those who agree and those who disagree. All welcomed, all uh, treated, hopefully respectfully and with decency, which is kind of the hallmark here at WBT. Now, I, I'll try to summarize a lot of what happened today, but there's an excellent piece over the Wall Street Journal today. And I'm not going to go through the whole piece because it gets into history and a lot of other things, which would would be very uh, deep. And I don't want to get too deep here in the in the final couple of segments. It's called How Our Democracy Became Undemocratic. The word used to signify elections and self-rule. Now it means whatever progressives want it to. And it goes through a lot of the history of, of the progressive movement and, and what happens and what we care about and how we vote on things. But in the end, I think it does a really good job of summarizing a couple things. And it says the word democracy um, doesn't appear. It, it, well, it, the sentence before that says that for Mr. Biden and his sympathetic listeners, democracy means things that are good and not things that are bad. But let's go to the, kind of what I want to get to the summary. The words democracy don't appear in the Gettysburg Address. The word democracy doesn't. But that document contains the finest definition of the term, taking it in its general sense. Even enunciated, Lincoln expressed the hope, quote, that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. That's the quote. Democracy, if it's to mean anything, has to include all three of those components. Government of the people, the people own the government, and acting collectively and according to rules may shake it up and change its policies when they wish. Government by the people, ordinary citizens staff and guide its decisions. Government for the people, the policies are meant to benefit the citizenry of the whole. The trouble with modern progressive thought, both in the early 20th century and the 21st senses of that term, and with the way progressives speak of democracy, is that they ignore the first two parts of Lincoln's formulation and care only about the third. Government, in the progressive view, ought to benefit the people, but it has to resist their crazy impulses. And it's necessarily composed of credentialed experts empowered to overrule the people when they act against their own interest. Maybe the 2024 election is about democracy. If it is, it's about nothing. Maybe the 2024 election is about democracy, and if it is, it's about nothing. So... You know, when we see these, you know, the transgender movement stuff, you see we start hyperventilating on stuff that really doesn't have that much meaning and it doesn't benefit us as a nation. It really doesn't. A lot of the, the, the trend lines, you know, a lot of our policies aren't benefiting the vast majority of Americans. We're basically, it looks like, in the process of redistributing wealth and making U.S. currency worthless at the global, at the global level. These policies aren't helping our nation be stronger. We're, we're, we're majoring in minor things. We're, we're aggrandizing weapons of mass distraction, and we're going down a path that isn't necessarily conducive to being a, str- a stronger, better country. So let's, let's go to that a minute. What, what do we, you know, what does it look like? So there's a great piece over at the Hill. It's by JT Young. It's an opinion piece. And it said, President Biden must hope, and again, we're linking the progressives will link the Republicans, too. They, they ought to be linked. Republicans have their own civil war going on right now. But the Democrats, the fact that they're not opposing Biden says a lot. President Biden must hope that America has forgotten former President Reagan's famous question about the economy. The reason? Because economically, Americans are worse and worse under Biden. That is not the product of his exaggeration. Instead, it's the product of inflation and expectation. In his only debate with then-President Carter in 1980, Reagan asked America a simple question. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Elegant simplicity itself. The question distilled the complexities of economics to their essential kernel. How are you doing? 
1980, there was only one answer economically. After it was acknowledged, there was only one outcome politically. Carter had to go. One debate, 10 words, one outcome. Carter was trounced. 44 years later, Biden had better hope that former President Trump doesn't again ask Americans Reagan's question. Because while the economy had been meh, inflation has been ugh. Biden's economy has been tempered at best, a far cry from strong that the administration tries to keep telling us. According to the Bureau of Economic Analysis, data, data, not opinion, despite the boost following COVID's 2020 devastation, when America's economy shrank 2.2% and rebound plus growth should deliver a double shot, Biden's first year in 2021 gave us 5.8% growth. In 2022, it fell to one9 Last year's growth was 2.2 in the first quarter, 2.1 in the second, 4.9 in the third, 3.3 in the fourth, all told making for 2.5 growth in 2023. However, to finish out Biden's four years, the CBO projects 1.5% growth in 2024, which is tempered again at best. The administration keeps trumpeting the great economy, but it's a whole lot better Then Biden's inflation record, almost from the moment he took office, inflation took off. It grew by one and a half, one point four percent in January 21 by May, running at five percent by December. It was at seven percent in 2021 and 2022. It went even higher, forcing the Federal Reserve to start raising rates like crazy. By June, inflation hit nine point one percent, the highest level in 40 years. Overall, the Fed would raise interest rates 11 times, taking them from point two five percent to point five to five point two five and to 5.5% in more than just a year. Little wonder that three years in, Americans have lost economic ground. As the folks at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity pointed out in December, American employees have seen their real hourly wages, something Democrats usually tout, by the way, shrink over 3% over the 35 months of Biden's presidency. The fuel to Biden's inflation fire has been his uncontrolled spending. Biden has spent $5.9 trillion above the 2019 pre-pandemic spending level. According to the CBO, over four years, the total will be $7.9 trillion. During that time, despite the increased revenues from Republicans' 2017 tax cuts, Biden's own tax increases, he has still managed to run enormous deficits, 12.1% in 2021, 5.4 in 22, 6.3 in 23. That's a cumulative deficit of 23.8% of GDP, almost a quarter of what the U.S. economy would produce in an entire year. It would have been worse if Biden had gotten his way, as bad as it is. Remember, the two Senate Democrats stopped him from spending even more while it took the Supreme Court to block him for forgiving another $400 billion in student loans. The CBS News YouGov poll taken January 10th through 12th found that only about one in five Americans felt they would personally be better off if Biden won. 49% of Americans feel they'll be better off if Trump won. Americans are not just saying, as they did in Carter in 1980, that they are not better off than they were four years ago. They are saying it. They don't expect to be better off four years from now if Biden is reelected. Such a verdict means that Biden is out-cartering Carter on the economy. GDP can be deceptive, a combination of several macro variables, which government spending and so-called government investment are two. It is therefore not surprising to see how Biden's profligate spending has been aided it in getting worse. And even so, with all of Biden's deficits and debt pushing, the economy is still not strong, as the administration claims. In contrast, inflation and interest rates are pervasive personal indicators affecting people where they live and what they buy and what they borrow. These are the only reasons why an earlier poll found just 36% approved of Biden's handling of the economy and only 33% approved of his handling of inflation. While the Biden administration can take talk all at once about the 
great economy, Americans are voting with their pocketbooks. As I said earlier, he's got a steep hill to climb. And that's kind of perspective about what's going on. It's it's like, and I've said, it's a Potemkin village for the Biden administration. He has no idea what's going on in the U.S. economy right now because his people are saying everything's great. Everything's wonderful. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out welcome back your happy and humble host chad adams sitting in for pete calendar here at wbt news talk 11 10 appreciate you being a part of the broadcast It's been a blast as we head toward those hours when uh, Brett will take over. Now, before we get there, you know, we've kind of gone through the 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 democracy way that the left looks at things. I appreciate Jack calling in earlier because I think he did a really good job. I think you know he's open to the possibility of getting rid of the electoral college. Uh, It gets rid of geographic representation. It's something that was fundamentally part of what was created. I mean, when you start tearing down statues of Thomas Jefferson, you start tearing down what those folks stood for, what they attempted to create. If you can tear down that, you can tear down what they wrote. You can tear down the underpinnings of the country. You can make it a true mob rule that we'd be just like most of Europe or other places where, depending on who gets in power, you could just eradicate whatever group you don't like. I don't know. It's it's, it's very much a Salem witch trial way of heading once you get to a democracy without a republic. A republic helps keep you from making wild swings. Pendle may go back and forth, but uh, a geographic representation, a Senate that's elected on six-year terms, you know, you kind of moderate your way through things. You don't wildly swing for it. But, you know, if you want a true dictatorial, a doorway through which a true fascist could walk in, you get rid of the Electoral College. That's what you can really pave the way for dictatorial things to happen. Um, but, I, again, progressives like that. They like it until it doesn't work for them. But here's a, what kind of went on. By the way, a little side note. Charles Littlejohn, many of you won't remember that name. He's the ex-IRS contractor who leaked former President Trump's tax returns. He was sentenced to five years in prison today. Judge Anna Reyes condemned his actions when handing down the sentence. The sentence also includes 36 months of supervised release and a $5,000 fine. She said the leak was an intolerable attack on our constitutional democracy. She said the press tells us democracy dies in darkness. It also dies in lawlessness. There are numerous lawful means to bring things to light. Trump was under no obligation to expose his returns. People could vote for someone else. They could run against him. Federal prosecutors. Here's the scary part. This is what lends credence when people say they're out to get Trump using every means necessary. Um, This is an example of that. According to federal prosecutors, Little John sought his job as an IRS consultant specifically to gain access to Trump's returns in 2019 and release them to the public. 
Little John had done work for Booz Allen from 2008 to 2013, but he returned to the company as an IRS consultant in 2017. He said the career move was meant to grant him access to private tax information that would allow him to leak Trump's tax returns. And again, this is a progressive way of looking at the world, which is, I think he's a threat. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to use the power of government to do it. I'm going to expose something that's not, it wasn't legal to do it, but it's okay. But it's okay. And he goes to jail. And thankfully, he should go to jail. It's just appalling that what he did. Now, I was reading an article on recycling EV batteries, and that one is just unbelievable. I, I can't believe the amount of effort it's going to take when these batteries start filling up landfills. It's unbelievable. But anyway, one of the things that, that's going on with the Trump situation that, that I find interesting is that, that people that despise Donald Trump, um, in this article, I, I don't want to go through all of it, and it's about an individual. It's an example of what me. This is from uh, MSN of all places. Uh, by last year, and I'm, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in the article. By last year, around the time Trump landed on a schoolyard taunt for the governor of Florida, who was until recently his main rival, Olson, the person they've been talking about, was halfway out the door. I didn't want to vote Trump to run at all. I felt like he should stay in the background. He could have been like the father of the party, an advisor. She shook her head at the naivete. Trump, she knew, was unwilling to cede the spotlight and would never entertain the idea that anyone else might have a better shot at beating Biden in November. It was not in his nature. His ego is just the worst thing I've ever seen. It's beyond. De sanctimonious. That bothered me a lot. Still does. I don't like the name calling. You're just you're not just saying that to him. You're attaching that to his children. That can be lasting. That's something that in a few years when they're in school, other kids could tease them about. Like, grow up, stop doing that. You can attack people without making fun of their name, she said. Think of who has their name made fun of. She went on, it's very personal. Anytime someone uses that trope against me, they're off my Facebook page. She liked that DeSantis is a veteran. She thought it seemed like a good executive. During the pandemic, her son was working in a restaurant. They go through all of this stuff about, about her liking DeSantis. She hated Haley, whose adolescent girl boss posture struck her as both anti-feminist and too reminiscent of Hillary Clinton. And she disapproved of, uh, more than she disapproved of the former president, she really didn't like Haley at all. But anyway, as you get through this article, she what you find is she goes through the process of starting to support Trump. Um, she's almost certain that she's going to be supporting Trump, the article says, in the general election. To consider voting for a third-party candidate, she would need to be persuaded that it would not be a waste or worse, functionally, a vote for Biden. It would have to be a wave where it's just like the whole freaking country has found a way this – this person that they love is a nice person, Robert F. Kennedy, though she worries he's too liberal on climate. But she looks like she's going to Trump. So what's happening is they're talking about the evolution. And this is MSN, MSNBC, all the other three-letter networks, CNN and all of those that want to pick and choose which truth they want to show you, as Rachel Maddow would show. that They're not going to show Trump's speeches because they think they're factually inaccurate. But when they report on all sorts of stuff like Russia collusion, it's okay. There is a transformation that takes place. I, I remember in 2016 being at the RNC. I was, I was doing a broadcast from there, and, and it, I had interviewed Trump during the primary. In fact, the, the day of the election in North Carolina, I had interviewed him uh, here in this state. But at the RNC, when they made him the nominee, Ted Cruz, yes, that Ted Cruz, who had been his chief rival, who had won the Iowa caucus, came out and, and couldn't find it in his heart to endorse Trump, and the crowd went nuts. I mean, there were people yelling, you're dead to me. 
uh, it was they had to escort him out with security. And but now you look now at Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, and Ted Cruz is one of Donald Trump's biggest supporters. Politics has the strange reality of the issues becoming the focus rather than the person. And in this instance, I think that a lot of people are the the DeSantis people, Haley people. They're coming around to supporting Trump. Now, I'm not saying that as a commercial for Donald Trump. I'm saying the reality. There are a lot of people that don't like Biden. They'll vote. They'll be voting for Biden. But I do think that the Democrats are foolish to believe. And, and, and I, don't, I want them to take it for granted. I want them to take the election for granted because I think they they misread the tea leaves in the last election. It was an abortion election. This year is not going to be an abortion election. It's going to be problematic for Democrats because the pocketbook issues at the executive level are going to be front and center. And this president's administration has had a rough run of it. I, I'm constantly amazed at what people tried. I mean, and, and like I said, there's. I think someone wrote on Twitter, hey, look, there's already, like I said, look, te- the situation in Texas isn't going away anytime soon. And someone said, look at the distraction. Look at this, because it's the suicide drone hit on American troops. I, I disagree in this way. I think there's going to be a million distractions before we get to November. I do think the Texas situation is going to grow and it's going to become problematic for Democrats who see Texas as trying to defend the border and 25 other states joining them and trying to help protect our border. And if Democrats want to think they're going to coast to victory thinking that the border in Texas is irrelevant, they're going to do so to their own demise. It could be a very problematic way for them forward. Trump is his own worst enemy. Biden is bad for the country. So we'll see how that shakes out. We've got a long time to go, but it has been an honor and pleasure to be here today. I am Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender here at WBT News Talk 1110-993. And hope that you'll stay tuned as always to get your information from WBT. Having done work with every station in the state just about, this station is preeminent. It is amazing, and it is a, a gift to this market. An amazing station. It's been an honor to work there. Now, stay tuned. Much more to go here as always on WBT. We'll be talking tomorrow. Have a great day.